Hey everyone, this is season two of Race, Justice, and the Church. I'm your host, Nate Winstead. You can follow me at Nate, Night with a K, wins. Today's episode is fire, y'all. I'm interviewing two people, Joseph and Lauren. They're a couple, and they bring some amazing insight into our conversation today about race, justice, and the church. I encourage you to stick around until the end because they drop some bombs that are going to be so, so good for you. But before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you to consider leaving a rating and writing a review for this podcast in Apple Podcasts. It really makes a huge difference about who sees this podcast when they're searching. You know, it has to do with the algorithm and stuff. So if this podcast has been helpful for you, if you enjoy these conversations, if you want to see it keep going into season three, and if you think that other people might benefit from listening to this, please let the people know by leaving a rating, five stars would be great, and if you really love it, man, writing a review, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. All right, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited. We have Joseph and Lauren on the mic. What's up? Hey, <laughs> Joseph and Lauren, uh, we've known each other for a few years now. They were both uh, members of the Gathering Harlem from the very beginning, back when all we had was a Bible study every other week. They were there. Thanks. Both Joseph and Lauren are alum of Duke University. Duke, Duke. The, uh, the Blue Devils. There you go. <laughs> right? Okay. Lauren is one of the founding members of the Kids Ministry at the Gathering Harlem, and Joseph is a, a regular MC on our Sunday mornings, welcoming people to church with his jokes, sometimes some dance moves. Lauren is a special education teacher in the New York City public school system, and Joseph works in sales in the HR technology space. They're also an interracial couple, and I'm so excited to have them on the mic. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us, Nate. Excited to be here, man. Yes, yes, yes. I kind of start out um, asking everybody, you know, just what your what your church background is, what your faith journey is like, so either one of you can, can start out. Ladies first, right? <laughs> yeah, so... I had kind of a, an indirect route to becoming a part of the church. So growing up, my family was very a-religious, I would say. Um, my dad grew up Catholic. My mom grew up Seventh-day Adventist. Um, but they both left the church in college. So by the time that my brother and I were born, we really had no connection to Christianity. We celebrated Christmas and Easter, but it was very much Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Mm. Um, and when I was born, I lived in St. Louis, Missouri. But when I was eight, we moved to Birmingham, Alabama, which if you know anything about Alabama, you know that it is right in the heart of the Bible Belt. Mm -hmm. So um, exposure to Christianity was kind of all around me. Um, even as young as in third grade, when when I started school in Alabama, people were inviting me to church and trying to tell me about Jesus. And, and coming from a family that didn't really talk about religion, that was a little uh, off-putting at first, a little shocking. Wow. Um, but God was using all of that to, to soften my heart towards him. 
Um, and I was really lucky to have some really incredible friends who um, really sort of walked the walk um, and not didn't just talk the talk. Um, so in middle school, I had some friends who I had grown really close to who invited me to some events at their church. And through that, I sort of got plugged into a local church um, and ended up attending a conference with them where I first heard the gospel sort of preached in its entirety. Mm. Um, and throughout that season of my life, I had sort of been questioning what I was raised to believe. Like I didn't quite, it didn't quite make sense to me that like we came from nothing and we're going to nothing. There was mm. no purpose to any of it. So I'd yeah, sort yeah. of been just exploring religion in general. Um, and that sort of intersected with this time where I heard the gospel um, and believed it and chose to start walking with Christ um, and then continued attending that church throughout the rest of middle school and high school. Um, oh, wow. That was in middle school? Yeah, that was in eighth grade. Awesome. Um, so I, I had sort of attended the, the fun church events starting in early middle school and then oh, high yeah. grade started attending, you know, the real churchy events, Sunday school, <laughs> Bible study, all of that. Yeah. Come on, youth group. <laughs> come on. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Wednesday nights were always busy. Um, and then in high school, joined a campus ministry. Um, but there was sort of a shift when I left Alabama and went to college and then even into my time in New York, um, sort of a process of unlearning some of what I thought Christianity was mm. having grown up in the South. Um, and I would say I'm still sort of in that journey now of distinguishing what is truth, what is God and what is culture and religion oh man that's some deep stuff right there just that little nugget well i'm sure we'll get into that <laughs> that's good that's good it's always fun hearing you tell that story uh i'd say for me obviously it was it was different uh so i grew up in a a nigerian household uh, my parents are both came to the u.s um like the late eighties or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, my parents split up when I was young. Mm -hmm. So I, I went to a ton of different churches growing up, a ton of different types of churches too. Um, so I went to uh, charismatic Nigerian churches. I went right. to um, kind of health and wealth, prosperity, gospel type churches, mm. mega churches. Um, white evangelical, like straight white, like glass of milk churches. <laughs> um, Shout out to my glass of milk. Calcium, right? Calcium. <laughs> um, just don't sit the Kool-Aid too much. Um, but I, uh, yeah, so just a really wide spectrum of different types of churches that I and went to. You grew up in California, is that right? Yeah, I grew up in LA. Um, Grew up in Los Angeles, lived there my entire life up yeah, to... And you can find all those churches there. That's yeah, for sure. yeah, all the churches, the, the full spectrum in LA, that's for sure. Um, so with that, you know, just a bunch of different perspectives that, that I gained uh, growing up 
Um, and I, I always, you know, from a young age, believed in God. Uh, I remember going to a, uh, I want to say it was a like a TD Jakes conference with my mom, uh, my brother and I when we were young. And I couldn't have been older than seven years old. But I remember having this like really, really powerful, just emotional, mm. uh, just moment, you know, with, yeah. with the Lord uh, at that conference. And I can't even remember the details of it too much. I actually want to ask my mom about it, see if she remembers. But from a very young age, but believed in God. Mm. Um, now with that, I believed in God, but in a lot of ways it was mom and dad waking me up in the morning and dragging me to church, right? Mm. Um, and I, I remember by the time I got to high school, um, I was going with my dad to uh, a local Black Baptist church, and it was my junior year of high school. I, I got baptized at that church, mm. and I just, looking back, uh, that kind of set the trajectory for my walk with the Lord. It was like the end of junior year. I remember all of senior year, just like, I'd always kind of read my Bible and tried to, but like actually having a hunger for the word uh, during my senior year, like I would sit down and, and read the Bible and not just fall asleep, you know? Uh, <laughs> right. An important milestone in, an important in everyone's milestone walk. In everyone's walk. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but yeah, things just kind of changed um, after mm. I got baptized and after I made that decision. And yeah. looking back, I can see the trajectory because uh, similar to what Lauren mentioned, when I left home, um, I had no intention of remaining anywhere near LA. I was, I was ready to go out. So ah, okay. every school that I applied to was east of, of the Mississippi. Uh, ah, oh, okay. You want to go far away. <laughs> college, I've never been east of Las Vegas. So oh, I'm, man. Just, I'm just ready for something different, right? So 17 years old, I move across the country uh, to Duke University in North Carolina. And uh, I wouldn't say that I went to college like looking to go buck wild or anything like that, but I lived under the rule of a Nigerian father for 17 years. So I was ready mm. to experience new things. <laughs> I but, see. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, pretty early in freshman year, the Lord switched up those plans or defined what the plans were really going to be really, really? on uh, through some really random circumstances. I ended up being roommates with a guy who, when he visited Duke was all about this campus ministry, um, stayed with guys who, who were in that campus ministry. So by the time I got to Duke, he was, he was recruiting me. He was like, yo, they got an ice cream social. Like, they got this going on. They got that going on. And at first I was like, all right, man, that's cool. Like, that's, that's nice. Uh, you do you. Right. But after Come on, God's, like, God's providence things, putting you yeah, with this roommate. I started going to things and I just got hooked, man. I got hooked. It, it was the first time that I had a community of believers who were my age, who mm. played basketball and who listened to, to Kendrick Lamar and who I could really relate to just as, as friends and human right. beings. And um, yeah, the, the Lord really used my college years 
to, um, I mean, just capture my heart in a new way and to, and to, to, and to, to begin to, to begin to walk with him closely and, and to do ministry, you know, doing Bible study, leading Bible studies, discipling freshman guys and, and doing things like that. So I'd say that in college, I saw my faith become my own in a way that, um, that, that was really new and, and, and really different. So y'all are, you you both find yourselves in North Carolina at Duke university and I can't remember all the details, but you find each other. So what's, I would love to hear or our listeners to hear just the story of how y'all met, how y'all got together, what that was like. Yeah, man. Um, it's freshman year, one year I was on the quad, looked across the quad. I saw Lauren, <laughs> I gave her that look and it was a wrap. It's all lies. <laughs> That's it. All lies. Wow. I just gave her that look. It was a wrap. You yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll start us off. You can, you can add in. Um, so we both lived in the same dorm our freshman year. Ah, okay. Um, so we were kind of floating in the same circles there. And then we both also joined the same uh, campus ministry that we had both mentioned earlier. Um, and just sort of became really good friends and we're just a part of the same like core group of friends mm-hmm. our freshman and sophomore year um and then junior year i during the fall semester i studied abroad and so i was gone for the first semester and joseph got a little bit in his feelings while i was away <laughs> <laughs> what, oh, what what does that mean okay yeah so you know um what had happened was <laughs> essentially so like lauren said we were friends we we're hanging out we we're just a part of the same friend group we mm-hmm. met or, or like we really kicked off our friendship during tenting uh if you know anything about tenting duke basketball it's a uh, whole okay. it's a whole podcast episode. So we won't <laughs> dive into it right now. Okay. We became like friends and, and really started hanging out um, spring semester of our freshman year during tenting. And from there, like Lauren said, we're friends. Uh, we would be on like committees together in, in, in our campus ministry crew. Um, and Come on, shout out to crew. Shout out to crew, you know, got to drop that name, give them their love. Um, but yeah, so Lauren went to go study all over creation <laughs> junior year. She Brazil, South Africa, India. Wow. Those three. India again, another part of India. <laughs> that's a, that's wow. a world traveler. A world traveler over here. But when that semester was actually a really difficult semester for me. Um, that was when, um, everything in in Ferguson was happening Mm. and, you know, in in full effect, you know, um, I, I was struggling academically. I probably had at least a a bit of depression going on, uh, Uh homesick, just, um, just a difficult semester. And 
I remember it was Thanksgiving, uh, 2015, 14, 2014, 2014. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, um, Lauren and I, and a couple of other friends plan to, to get on a, a video call just to, to catch up. You know, we'd all been doing our own thing all semester. Just catch up. Both of those friends drop out. For whatever reason, uh, they can't make it to the call. The Holy Spirit, so it's just like, me and Lauren. Get them out and I'm like, yeah, let's let's still talk, right? Um, and on that call, it just like it ended up being like this three hour call where we were talking about mm. everything from our semester to our families and just you know what we were thinking about, all that was going on in, in the country and in the world. Um, and it was just this really fruitful, beautiful, like honest and, and great conversation. Mm. And, you know, I, prior to that, I had my eye on, uh, you know, the field, uh, to, to, to see <laughs> right. you know, ladies who was out there, the prospect bachelor out here. And, you know, <laughs> Lauren, Lauren was on that list. Mm. Uh, but Lauren was always dating random guys. You know, she, she always had a boyfriend or whatever. So it was always... It's never anything. But after okay. that conversation, I was like, yo, yo, Lauren is actually like really dope. Like I actually want to spend like more time with her. She's, like, she's moving to the top of the um, list here. Yeah, you know, she made her way up on that conversation. Um, so when she came back uh, in the spring semester, I, I mean, I, I knew already what, what this was about to be. She didn't know, but I knew what this was about to be. Um, so every time we were studying, you know, with our friend group, somehow we would end up just being the two of us. <laughs> and, you know. and we use the term studying kind of mm, loosely. Right. Uh-huh. I was studying. Right. Joseph was was in the room. You know, I was telling people to leave. <laughs> um, but, you know, it would always end up being the two of us. Um, you know, we just started spending a, a lot more time together. And, yeah. uh, you know, after a while, we, we just, you know, we sat down, we had a conversation, we had a really dramatic evening that included basketball, the emergency room, uh, cookies, stitches, stitches, yes. again, a whole, other whole podcast form- formative itself. moment right there. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. The first date. <laughs> the first date was in the emergency room. But, uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, so after, after that, and, and after all that time we spent together, you know, we decided to, you know, really uh, be exclusive and, and kind of work towards being in a relationship and make it official and, and all of that. And, and that's, uh, that's really how we started dating. So good. Oh man. <laughs> Make, making those moves, Joe, like, you gotta you got somewhere to go you need to you need to just go there (laughs) (laughs) joseph was playing the long game that's right it's a marathon that's good well man this is uh race justice and the church so i want to ask some questions about about race love to hear from you guys as as an interracial couple um you know what has that been like um you can you can talk about like even when you were dating, um, you know, d- did that come up as like a major thing? And like, how did you deal with that? Um, yeah, let's just start there. When you were, when you were, before you were married, when you're dating, uh, what was that like? I can start on that one. 
So it was, uh, it, it presented some unique challenges. Um, I was going to throw it out there right now. We broke up twice. <laughs> Mm. Uh, two times. Two times. We broke up two times uh, during the time that we were dating in college. Okay. And, you know, for me, some of the challenges had to, I think that for me, I was, I was still wrestling with who I was. Mm. Um, and, you know, still today, wrestling with the, uh, that question of who am I? But, thinking about my identity as a black man, thinking about my identity, even within that as a, a Nigerian American, right? Right. I, uh, it was challenging to, to think about being in a relationship with a white woman. And as I'm still forming and trying to understand what my identity is, having those feelings and those thoughts that like, does being in a relationship with a white woman like make me uh, any less black? Like, do, do I am I uh, you know dishonoring black women by being in a in an interracial relationship? Mm, yeah. Like, am I um, am I doing a disservice to my people by being in a relationship with somebody who uh, who's white, right? Who doesn't who doesn't necessarily look like me? And, uh, you know, it was, those were difficult topics to, to wrestle with. And then again, at the same time, the backdrop of, of our relationship is Ferguson is happening, you know, mm, even wow. on Duke's campus that year, somebody hung up a noose on our campus. Oh my gosh. Right? And wow. it was this make massive outcry from, from students and staff and, um, and pushback from other students and staff saying it's not that big of a deal or whatever else. So it was, it was just very, it was a tense moment in and of itself, apart from our relationship. Right. Um, so to be in an interracial relationship and, and to wrestle with those questions, while at the same time, other people are rest wrestling with those questions and they're looking at you, right? They're looking at me, they're looking at our relationship kind of sideways. Um, you know, it was, it was challenging. And I think it really that theme, that, that question of identity um, is is really what what made it challenging for me, um, especially during the years uh, at Duke when we were dating. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I think being in an interracial relationship really um, was like very formative from early on in our relationship. Um, you know, in any relationship you're in, in the beginning, you're kind of learning each other and, and learning how to respond to um, the needs of the other person. And then like Joseph said, that was just sort of like magnified by the backdrop of, of what was going on. Um, yeah. So that was definitely something that we had to have many conversations about um, early on and, and still now, I would say we're still figuring each other out and, and figuring out how do we best support each other and care for one another in the midst of like really challenging times. Um, and then I think the other piece is um, there are like stereotypes, narratives, mm. presuppositions, whatever you want to call it about 
um, people in interracial relationships mm-hmm. um, from from both sides. And I think that was really challenging for me um, to um, face criticism mm. or critique that I didn't feel was justified from people who maybe didn't necessarily know me or made an assumption about me um, and have had to really learn to, to come to terms with like, there are very valid reasons that people have those stereotypes and presuppositions um, and like feelings that they may have um, are there for a reason. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's a reflection on me as an individual. Right. Um, and it just means that like that much more I need to, um, in my relationships that I do have, the people that I am close with, I, I um, can show who I am as a person. Mm. And the people who know me can see that. And like, Mm. that is where um, the, not necessarily validation, but, but like Mm. more of the truth lies is in the, in the way that I interact with the people closest to me and in my circle. Um, I can't take on other people's Mm. burdens or, or weight. Ooh, Ooh, man, that's, that's a word right there of not, taking on other people's presuppositions, their assumptions, their burdens, uh, when they're not, not healthy, um, for you to do that, man, that's so good. I I guess, uh, I wanted to ask, like, were there, like, did you feel, you know, supported, you know, by friends and family? Uh, were there ever times where, uh, like outside things you had to deal with or anything like that? Yeah, um, I would say in terms of family, uh, definitely, definitely a ton of support. Um, you know, I, my brother and my sister-in-law met Lauren without me. Like <laughs> Lauren happened oh, wow. to be in San Francisco in the Bay Area where my, my brother and his family live. And they, they went and had lunch with Lauren. They met her, they took her out. Um, you know, my parents were really supportive. Uh, you know, their whole thing was just like, we, they want you, they wanted me to be with somebody who uh, I, I actually loved and, and cared about. Like, they didn't care about what that person's skin color was, um, which is atypical for a lot of Nigerian parents. I'm going to just mm. throw that out. There, okay. Right? Okay. Um, and on the flip side too, Lauren's parents um, and I, you can speak to it uh, from a different perspective than I can, but we're also very supportive. Um, and, mm-hmm. and me, uh, personally, I, uh, I had a situation prior to dating Lauren where I wasn't even dating this girl. It, it was a white girl, but we were just kind of like talking and texting. Mm-hmm. And I guess one day her mom or her dad got wind of the fact that she was texting some boy a lot. And 
they asked her about me, I guess. And it, it came out that, that I was black. And of course she, she's white. Um, and out of the blue, I get a call from her one day saying like, we can't talk anymore. Like, mm. I'm like, wow. okay, like what, what happened? And she was just like, my, my parents don't want me to, like they don't, uh, they don't approve of it. And I told them if you just meet him, but they're just like, no. Mm. And these are Christians, right? right. So this is a Christian family. Um, but then fast forward, to now I'm actually in a relationship with Lauren and her parents who aren't even Christians, right? Aren't even necessarily believers, whatever mm. you want to call it. They welcome me in. Uh, uh, they have me over for Thanksgiving. They, you know, uh, they welcome me. Right. Mm. And it, it's just like, it, it was, it was very striking for me to see the difference between uh, Lauren's parents, who again aren't Christians, yeah, right? and, and this other white family who are Christians, and how they approach the prospect of their daughter being with with a uh, with a black man. So I'd say that the family was definitely there, or the the support was definitely there from from family. Yeah, definitely. Joseph kind of mentioned, but I think from the beginning. Um, my parents, my close family were all um, really supportive. Um, you know, it, it may have been a bit shocking to some extended family, but mm -hmm. um, everyone has, has really like taken Joseph in um, and welcomed him into our family. Um, and I'd say a lot of our, our we shared a lot of friends at mm -hmm. Duke um who kind of mm. saw this coming all along um <laughs> yeah. and, and were like probably more excited when we started dating than we were um, <laughs> right. so we had, a, we had a lot of support from them as well yeah um but in addition to that i'd say that there was also pushback from plenty of people or just like i feel like there was never anybody who like explicitly stepped right. up to either myself right. or Lauren <laughs> bro, what are you doing, right? right like, yeah. There's nothing like that. But just like sly things on the side, you know, Twitter fingers turning into trigger fingers. Ooh. Um, you know, small, small things here and there where um, I knew that people were questioning uh, our decision, questioning my yeah. decision. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there was... There was some pushback. There are some um, uh, underlying uh, disapproval from various people, and you know, for for me and Lauren, that led to some difficult conversations. But I think my whole thing was always, uh, you know, because as Lauren was mentioning earlier, like when people have presuppositions about you without actually knowing you, like it, like you know, they don't know you, but it still hurts. Right, it, it hurts to, mm. to know that people disapprove of you um, who don't even know you. But my whole thing was, if they don't know you, then their opinion isn't really valid. You know, like, like mm. that you can only yeah. hold, you can only let that opinion, you can only let that perspective carry so much weight. Um, I think to, to Lauren's point, there is 
uh, validity in the presuppositions that people have when they see a black man and a white woman or, or an interracial relationship generally. Right? When we think about the legacy of, of white supremacy, when you think about Western beauty standards and, and how that um, is indoctrinated in the minds of, uh, of black men uh, along with, with, mm. with men generally. Yeah. Right. Um, I think, you know, just again, generally black women have been incredibly loyal to black men in, in the way mm. that they support and, and care for black men and haven't necessarily received that same level of, of love and, and support and devotion, right? So that there, there's a lot of real reasons why somebody could and would have presuppositions, but at the end of the right. day, those presuppositions and that legacy isn't any individual's fault, right? Like it's not Lauren's fault, it's not my fault. So I think for us, it was always, you know, uh, honor and respect the validity of that point and that perspective and, and mm. where it's coming from the history of it. Right. But also know that like you are your own person and we are our own couple and we don't have to carry the weight of, of those presuppositions. Some people might never like us and that's mm. fine. It, it's not our place to try to earn their approval. Um, man, that's so, so good. Yeah. Just, just like, just what you said about like, these are things that are realities there. There's a history to this. So there's reasons why people have presuppositions. So you like, you have to hold that, but still be able to be free of it. Um, and right. I think that's a powerful uh, way of thinking about um, a lot of issues that have to do with race and just history in our country is that you know, you have to hold on, you have to know the history. There's a, you know, all of all the words that are used, certain ways of talking about issues. There's a history to that, that has, you know, that ha is, is baked in white supremacy. Right. Um, I think too often we, like we decide, or, or we just don't know, we don't know the history, but we still decide to, either hold on to presuppositions or say that they don't exist. <laughs> but you have to do both. You have to be able to recognize the history, the reality, and then at the same time, well, really c come come to God's word, come to the gospel and say, what, is, what does Jesus say about this? And like, like you would take any thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So that's, that's, I like that. <laughs> that's good. Because well. it's, it's, I feel like it's, you know, it's like as an interracial couple, there's some issues that like other couples won't have to deal with. Right. Yeah. But you're kind of forced to because, because of history, because of uh, where we are in this world. Yeah. Yeah. That's real, man. That's real. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, I don't know, when I think about, um, just like this topic and, you know, white versus black or uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, the scripture that always comes to mind for me is in, in Ephesians where it talks about those of you who were once far off have been brought near mm. by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I see that as, you know, we as 
people, we as humans now can be in relationship to God on, on one part, mm-hmm. right? But on the, on the other part, it's also you people who were once far off from one another have been brought near, right? You Jew and, and Gentile, um, rich and poor, black and white have been brought near by the yeah. blood of Jesus Christ. And yeah, I, and I think, you know, it, it, it has to come down, it has to come back to the gospel. Um, I, in a lot of ways, I don't understand how people make marriages work, period, <laughs> without the gospel, let alone an interracial marriage work without the gospel because you know that that's that story and and just that um the beauty of that restoration of relationship um of that reconciliation Mm -hmm. um like i think that's that's what carries us man that's what that's what makes it work for us yeah preach it come on that's good (laughs) Oh, so good. So um, I do want to hear a little bit more of, uh, you know, just b- both of your experience being a part of the Gathering Harlem. Um, you know, Lauren, you're uh, uh, both a public school teacher and you also are part of the, the children's ministry at TGH. Yeah, what I mean, the Gathering Harlem is a predominantly black and brown church in Harlem. So, you know, what, what has that been like uh, for the two of you? Yeah. Um, I, I've been really grateful for my time at the gathering. Um, I know Nate, you often mention like in the room, you might be the only white man in the room and, and occasionally I'm the only white woman. Um, so I, I sort of relate to that. Um, but I think it's just been a really powerful, experience for me um because growing up like i don't think i could name one time that i wasn't in the racial majority Mm. in a space yeah um yeah me too like i i would say probably growing up like oh i have black friends but it was always within the context of a, of a white space. Like my mm. high school was very white. My church was very white. Um, I was always surrounded by very white spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and the gathering for me has been the first time that that is not the case. Um, and it, it has just been so powerful um, to be like in a really loving and intentional community with people who don't look like me Mm. um, and maybe don't have like the same assumptions as I might have or perspectives that I might have. Um, And I remember growing up, I was always like really fascinated with adoption Mm. and this you know there's probably like some white savior complex there that like needs to be unpacked but one of the things that Mm. um i had read about was like an adoption agency that before they would let families adopt a black child they had to fill up a jar with marbles and they had there were black marbles and white marbles and it was like 
all right, pick the color marble of like your five closest friends. Pick the color marble of like the last three authors that you've read, like mm -hmm. the main character of the last three movies that you've seen. Um, just as like this visual example of um, what your space is surrounded by. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for a long time, my jar would have been pretty much all white. Um, and yeah. I'm not it's a such, parent. Such a good illustration, by the way. It's powerful. Yeah, yeah. It's like kind of mind blowing to even, even if you don't physically do it, to just sort of think through it. Um, but I'm not a parent, but I am a teacher of predominantly black and brown kids. Mm -hmm. So I think I have a responsibility to ask myself that same question of like, if I'm coming into this classroom space to teach black and brown kids, like what does my circle look like? Who am I being influenced by? Whose voices am I hearing? Mm. Whose voices am I prioritizing in my own life, in my own time? Because that influences how I come into the classroom space. Because right. if I'm not in a space where I even have the capacity to learn from people who are different from me, then there's no way that I'm going to be able to like um, approach kids and families from like a mindset um, where I can listen and learn from them. So the gathering has been really impactful for me in that um, because I think it's totally sort of like changed my landscape. Mm. Like who are my close friends? Who am I listening to? What movies am I watching? What, what music am I listening to? Um, what authors am I reading? Um, and that just comes from, from proximity, you know, being close to people and being influenced by the people who are close to you. Oh, there so. you go. That proximity is so powerful. Yeah. Proximity, like you can no longer ignore things cause they're right there in front of you. It's like, right. um, <laughs> I know, uh, all of us are not originally from New York City, so when you come to New York City, like there are uh, people asking for money on the street in your face every day, <laughs> and like that's a totally new experience for so many people. And uh, you know, New Yorkers, you you know, you know that is you're around it all the time. But when people first come here, it's just like shocking. Um, right. Right. And that's, you know, just an illustration of so many things. Um, if you're not in proximity with someone, you can't, um, you can't really understand. It's, it's harder to understand their perspective in their world. And um, yeah, yeah, proximity is key for sure. Yeah, that's real. Brian Stevenson has a, a piece in, in his book, Just Mercy, where he talks about proximity. I think his grandma told him, like, if you, if, if there's an issue or whatever, like uh, you have to get close to something to really yes. know it. I think it's really easy for us to mistake exposure for knowledge, but there's a real big difference between being exposed to something and actually knowing it. And, you know, typically it requires getting close to actually know something. Mm. So yeah, no, that's good. Well, that's so good. And uh, by the way, everyone go read that book, Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson. <laughs> get on YouTube, listen to all of his talks. Yeah. The yes. audio book, the all physical right. book, yes. all of it. The youth version, right. every one of them. He's, uh, he's got a special on HBO. 
documentary yeah. there. Watch, watch the documentary, yeah. watch the movie, <laughs> yep. all that. No, Brian Steven is like a personal hero of mine, so yeah. I'm always ready to shout him out. Um, <laughs> so, um, Joseph, what has it been like uh, for you at TGH? Yeah, man. Uh, being at TGH has been incredible. Uh, I, I think that, you know, since I left home and went to college, most of the the Christian circles that I've been in have been white, right? Mm-hmm. So I talked about how, like, when I left home, going to college, that was when my faith became my own in, an, in a really new way. Mm-hmm. And that was happening in white spaces, right? Yeah. Uh, so that has implications for how you think about um, God, how you think about yourself. You know, it, it forms your your theology in a lot of ways. So for me, and of course, you know, within that, I had black Christian friends. But to Lauren's point earlier, it was almost always against the backdrop of a Christian space or a Christian community or a Christian or a white uh, church, a white community or whatever Mm. else. Yeah. So with that, the gathering was the first time that I had a black pastor since Mm. I was 17 years old. You know, Um, the gathering was the first time that I was a part of a, uh, a church or a Christian community that was majority black uh, and or brown since I left home and, and had my faith become my own. Um, and I'm grateful for those white Christian spaces that I was in, crew and, and the church that I was a part of uh, mm-hmm. down in Durham. But it, it it makes a difference. And it's, it's important to... Um, to just be able to be in community with, I think on the flip side of what Lauren talked about, with people who do look like you, right? Mm. Um, to have a black pastor, to to look on stage every week or, or on the on the YouTube. Shout out to the TGH YouTube. <laughs> yeah, every Sunday. Be 2020 out here, everything's online, you know. <laughs> but uh, but to log on to that and to see. Uh, black and brown people leading you in worship, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's been really incredible. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been really incredible. That's so good. Cause, um, uh, yeah, those are, those are all like realities that mm-hmm. like we were talking about before you kind of just have to hold, you have to hold on to those. Like they're being, there's white, church spaces there's black church spaces um and those have real implications um Mm. i think that um too often we kind of label them as like or maybe we don't label them but we think of them like uh pretty simplistically i guess Mm -hmm. like oh that's a black church that must mean X, Y, Z. That's a white space. Right. It must mean X, Y, Z. Um, it's like, well, you know, <laughs> the same, we're, we're worshiping the same God here. We're preaching the same gospel there, right. uh, but it's complicated. There's a lot of, um, 
there's a lot of little things that um, you have to work through that you have to be aware of. Um, yeah. And it's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point, it's really easy if you remain in um, and circles generally, but especially Christian circles uh, where folks who look like you are the majority, it becomes very easy for you to uh, begin to associate uh, certain types of worship or certain types of ways of walking out your faith, working out your faith or, or walking in your faith as right and other ways as, as wrong. Mm. Right. Um, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of uh, presuppositions that folks in the white church have about the black church uh, oh, yeah. and yep. vice versa. Right. Whether we're talking about, how expressive we are or are not, whether we're talking about how we interpret uh, certain parts of the mm -hmm. Bible, right? I, I think that when you are remaining siloed just in your space, in your circle, with your people, uh, it, it, it actually creates division in a lot of ways. All right. So uh, as we start to wrap up here, I'd like to ask you guys a question I ask everybody on the mic. Um, if you could tell majority white church leaders anything, what would you tell them? It's a good question, man. I can start. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It kind of goes back to what I was sharing about that, um, like the example of the marbles in the jar. Mm. I think it's really important for leaders to examine their own circles and their own spheres of influence. Um, I've been reading first Thessalonians and Paul just talks like in depth about how he came and led by example. Mm. Um, and Paul is this really good model of leadership. So as leaders in a predominantly white space, um, I think you have an obligation to model having a, a diverse sphere of influence. So mm. even if it's not in your congregation, maybe it's in the books that you're reading, the music that you're listening to, um, the pastors that you're seeking counsel from. counsel from, exactly. So even if it's not yeah. um, like physical human beings in your space, like we're really lucky that we live in a time that um, there's an ease of information sharing. Um, so not having people of color in your physical space is an excuse to not learn from them. Um, so just like seeking out ways that you can, you can hear voices besides ones that sound like yours. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I, I would add, uh, it is incredibly difficult to change or to progress in any significant way without questioning yourself. Um, mm. I, I think I would charge uh, and encourage uh, and exhort Come white on. church leaders to uh, to just humble themselves, man. Mm. 
Mm. Um, I think, you know, you, you go to, to seminary or divinity school, you form your perspectives, you form your opinions, you operate in your denomination and in, in your spheres. Uh, you're speaking with people who are like-minded and it's so easy to just be rooted uh, and grounded and, and just set in, in what you believe or, or in your perspective. Yeah. Um, so I would challenge white church leaders to, to humble themselves enough, um, not by their own strength, right, by, by the grace of God, to question themselves enough to consider other opinions, right? To Lauren's point, to be able to uh, seek out the, the counsel, uh, the, the perspectives of black and brown uh, leaders, um, and, and other people who don't look like them, uh, people who have various perspectives. So, uh, yeah, I think in short, my, my encouragement for, for white church leaders would be to uh, humble yourself and listen. Mm. That's good. That's so good. So, so good. Man, that makes me think of uh, a, a lot of um, stuff I see online is... I feel like they're kind of trying, they're espousing that they're listening, but they're not really. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, I don't know if you've paid attention. There's been a lot of buzz about like intersectionality, um, mm-hmm. and critical race theory and mm-hmm. in like Christian Twitter or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's like, we, we often jump to the extremes of things mm-hmm. instead right. of doing the work that you're talking about of, humbling yourself and you know do it it takes it's easy to say like oh yeah that's bad i'm not going to listen to that but it's harder to um listen to and find those uh diverse voices and take time to think about those issues and and get into it well and i'll add um kind of a caveat to what i said um i think it's kind of like trendy in the moment now to like mm, yeah have talk all about these that lists and um speakers and authors and shows everyone's posting um i mean things have sort of died down now but especially over the summer in the wake of um the murder of george floyd and brianna taylor mm. um there was this big outrage and people bought all these books and you look at the bestseller list <laughs> right um but, and, and I don't want to speak for Joseph, but I know, like, he expressed some frustration of, like, people who had never really expressed interest in him before were coming out of the woodwork, sort of, to, like, right. speak his opinion. Um, right. And, and I'll just add that, like, a moment of crisis is not the first time that you should be seeking insight and wisdom from black people and brown people like that needs to be a relationship you're cultivating at all times um and in in those moments yes express love express um that you're there but then it can come from a place of like i've been here 
Mm. You know, like I'm not showing up for you now in this moment because it's the cool thing to do, the trendy thing to do, but like we've built a relationship, we've built trust. Um, so like when I check on you, you know, I'm really checking on you. Or like when I seek your opinion on something, you know, it's because I really value what you say at all times, mm. not because it's trendy to seek your opinion. Um, so when this moment dies down, as I think it unfortunately will, um, those are the moments that you really need to be, be seeking out counsel, seeking out advice, seeking out relationship with people who are different from you. Um, because a moment like this, unfortunately, we live in a sinful and broken world, like will most likely happen again. Um, and that, that shouldn't be the time that you reach back out. It needs to be a, a long-term commitment. Oof. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren just oh. went in. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> On my way out the door. That <laughs> <laughs> right. was well, so good. Um, I think we're going to leave it right there. Some of y'all just take a, take a minute after this wraps up. <laughs> think about that. That's so good. But you might want to rewind, listen to it, listen to it again. Um, well, thank you both for lending your time and uh, sharing with us um, your experience and thoughts and things. If people want to connect with you on the interwebs, is there any way that they can do that? Man, I got to look up my hand. Right. <laughs> I don't know that off the top of my head. You can follow me on Instagram at jbassey, B-A-S-S-E-Y, 007. And Lauren's tagged on half of my <laughs> so I'm on a, a, a personal Instagram hiatus. So if yes. you uh, find my personal account from Joseph, don't be offended if I don't uh, follow you back or accept the request. But I do have, you can follow my uh, my artstagram, Ooh, which is... Bassy print shop. Yeah. <laughs> so Ooh, B A S S Y print shop, all one word. Buy the digital prints. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Support an artist. Come on. That's right. That's right. Just buy. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so good. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, and thank you guys for listening. Uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye. All right. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate you having us. Yeah. Easy.